0: Infinity. 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 Intuitive improvisation is the secret of genius. And this is a quote from Max Zorin, who was the arch villain in A View to a Kill, the James Bond film of 1985 with Christopher Walken playing Zorin. And it got me thinking a little bit about how improvisation in particular is is used so effectively by by nasa people when they've got you know, they've launched a, a space probe somewhere, say to the surface of Mars, and then they have a problem and they can't go and do anything about it in person. They can't go out into the Mars yard and tinker around with their scale model of the, of the, the rover that's on Mars and you know, test different scenarios. And, uh, I mean, that's what they actually do, but they can't physically make any changes. So the only thing they can do is improvise and use what they've got and make it work as best as possible and i came across a story recently about the curiosity rover now a lot of our attention these days is is focused on the perseverance rover successfully touched down in february and has been doing uh, amazing stuff collecting science and and uh, you know working on that uh, series of caches for eventual sample return back to earth but also its amazing little helicopter ingenuity has been doing great guns as well so while we've been focused on that it's kind of been easy to overlook the fact that there is another nuclear powered rover, very similar design to Perseverance, used that sky crane technique, in fact, pioneered the sky crane landing technique, uh, which was required to get such a heavy object, uh, more than a ton of weight down to the surface of Mars. That's a ton of weight in Earth gravity. It's about 30% of that on the surface of Mars, but still a large object to get down there safely, and it's worked twice the sky crane technique worked perfectly in 2012 with Curiosity and then again for Perseverance and Perseverance as we know, carried those cameras and and we got uh, high definition video footage of the actual entry, descent and landing sequence. Get that, that amount of uh, great video. We did get a little bit, but they were stills with Curiosity back in tw- uh, 2012. But Curiosity's been going great guns ever since and exploring Gale Crater and gradually ascending Mount Sharp, which is a, a very large, uh, tall, I think it's five kilometers high uh, mountain in the middle of Gale Crater. One of the things that's been a little bit tricky for Curiosity is that they have had problems with their wheels being damaged by very sharp rocks. This was a concern, and they noticed you know, fairly early on in the mission that they were punching holes through their metal, these really large 50-centimetre-wide wheels. There's six of them on, on both uh, nuclear rovers, uh, whether it's Perseverance or, or um, Curiosity. Very similar design overall, mobility design, different instruments carried. They noticed that there was wheel damage. Early on in the mission, they took steps, to deal with it, one of the things that they did, which was amazing, and this was this great theme of improvisation, was to tackle the problem with software. If you're interested, and I'll post links to this in the show notes on our website beyondinfinity.com.au, there is a report you can read. It's called "Rimmed Wheel Performance on the Mars Science Laboratory Scarecrow Rover." Now, Scarecrow is the um, the test rover that they've got uh, in the Mars Yard. As to the explanation, just quoting from that uh, paper, along with careful terrain classification and drive planning, periodic trending of the wheel state and extensive characterization of the mechanisms of wheel failure per terrain type the Mars Science Laboratory or Curiosity as it's as it's also known uh, the MSL project also began the development of a terrain adaptive wheel speed software patch which estimates wheel contact angles and commands wheel angular rates that theoretically would result in no wheel slip the software patch was approved for nominal use in flight on SOL 1678 that was the uh, the 25th of April back in 2017 so it had been there for five years roving around and doing some damage to the wheels in that time. Since its installation 99.48% of Curiosity's odometry has been achieved with the software patch enabled. This software patch and uh, the care that they've taken in terms of choosing uh, the route that they they follow uh, in Gale Crater and heading up Mount Sharp on those sharp rocks has meant that the wheel damage is unlikely to be a problem for a long time. If Curiosity gets to the point where JPL might have to start looking at wheel shedding, which I'm going to come to, it will have meant that the rover has been hard at work for at least an additional decade from now. Uh, So that would take it into the early 2030s. This is due to the caution they use in planning their route and their understanding of the pace of the degradation of wheels and and the process involved in that. Now, I touched on the idea of wheel shedding because... Back in the the Apollo era, as we're we're all familiar with, the Apollo 13 mission had an explosion in the service module on the way to the moon, uh, and they had to use a free return swing by of the moon, didn't get down to the surface, Uh, very disappointing for those astronauts on board. And they had to use the LEM, the Lunar Excursion Module, as a life raft and and improvise a way to survive. And, and they just got there on very low battery and just enough oxygen and then safely re-entered the Earth's atmosphere and uh, were picked up at sea and, and were heroes. But they didn't go to the moon, but it was called a successful failure. And the team back on Earth that, that worked on this solution were called a TIGER team. NASA every so often has to assemble a a Tiger team, and uh, one of the things they specialize in is improvising a, a way to get around a problem which is serious and threatens a mission. So in the case of Curiosity, they didn't want those wheels to fall apart with nothing done about it, because then they'd have a... You know, an immobile rover uh, with a nuclear power pack that was very likely going to last a lot longer. It would have become a stationary lander mission rather than a a rover. And and that's completely against what, you know, the the mission objectives are to actually explore and to move around rather than being stuck in one place. They got their Tiger team onto the job. One of the things that, that was come up with was that software solution that I mentioned which is expected to give them at least another 10 years from now. So taking the mission, well, that would be nearly 20 years of roving around without any dramas on the surface of Mars. But the other thing that the Tiger team came up, which, we, which I thought was really interesting, was that if the worst comes to worst, Curiosity could use a rock that it seeks out, that finds the right shape one. It's got to be a really uh, very well-embedded rock, so it's not going to move. It's going to be solid rock with a kind of sharp and appropriately located edge on it. And use this rock to deliberately create two additional breaks in a wheel, which they know they've got problems with it, you know, where there's holes already. And these holes would uh, be one each side of the innermost edge of the odometry feature, and then peel all the rest of the damaged wheel away. This manoeuvre is described as a twist and shout manoeuvre to make the first break by catching the inner part of the wheel on a rock and twisting the wheel and following that by a pigeon toe manoeuvre where the now mostly broken off part of the wheel is pressed up against the rock as the rover attempts to drive forward while wiggling the damaged wheel. And if all goes well... The damaged section gets peeled away like a can opener by the rock and the rover continues on the outer third of the wheel plus the uh, leftover odometry section which would just kind of hang on for the ride. Now the odometry section is in the tread um, of the Curiosity rover, there's a, there's a section which has got particular shape and design in the track, which when you look at the tracks over, say, a 10-metre driving period, you can see these regular markings appear, and that allows you to determine the, uh, the distance that's been covered. I mean, there are other ways of doing it as well, but this is why they designed it that way, and I think it spells out JPL in Morse code or something. There's another side to that as well, a little, um, little Easter egg there for, for space enthusiasts. What I thought was really impressive was that they actually could anticipate a day, and and they think they've solved it anyway with software and by careful driving, so they don't think they're unlikely to have to do this this sort of can opener wheel-shedding manoeuvre. If they did have to, um, they've got a plan where they could uh, deliberately rip off a section of the wheel and then be able to drive uh, without any issues using what's left over of the wheel. Because one of the concerns they have is if they keep driving it and it gets shredded, um, there are cables underneath, uh, close to where the wheel is turning which if they severed those cables or damaged those cables, then they could actually wind up with a wheel that doesn't turn at all. Uh, it severed the, the controls to the wheel and then that wheel would have to be dragged and it would be better if they didn't have to drag that wheel. It would slow things up. It would make it harder for for uh, climbing up Mount Sharp. Amazing what these Tiger teams can come up with. Their wheel where strategic plan uh, had that idea of um, actually uh, shedding part a large part of one of these 50 centimeter wide metal wheels to save the mission and stop having to drag a wheel now on the subject of dragging a wheel uh, with the spirit mars exploration rover mission so these were before the two nuclear powered rovers these were solar powered uh, launched back I think in 2003 and lasted for ages. I think Spirit lasted for about six or seven years and Opportunity lasted for 14 years and they were solar powered so they didn't have the advantage of a, of a sort of pretty much unstoppable nuclear power plant to drive and to provide electricity. Uh, they did rely on the sun and they had uh, lots of dust accumulating but they got lucky and they had these dust devils going over the decks of the solar panels and clearing them and uh, boosting their power and keeping them going and those missions were only supposed to last for three months and they went up lasting for years and years so they were huge successes for nasa when spirit was dragging a, a wheel it did this for, for i think for years because the wheel they lost control of it and so the other wheels were working but they um, uh, they were forced to drag one of them and i think drive in reverse there was an advantage that popped up just by by chance the dragged wheel scraping over the martian surface excavated some pure white silicate which is a sign of an ancient hot spring and to this day uh, is a prime place to revisit with better instruments or even a sample return mission that was a a, an unexpected benefit of having a a wheel problem it just highlights this idea of you know i started with the idea of intuitive improvisation i just was really impressed about this, uh, you know, the way the Tiger team works. And, you know, obviously the Apollo 13 mission was a, was a successful failure, but they did save the astronauts, which was really important. Got them back to Earth safely, and they got them to do all sorts of improvised, you know, bits with duct tape and square pegs and round holes and all this sort of stuff to, to make the resources they had survivable for the, uh, the journey back from the moon and then the, the, the splashdown. So this is another example of where a Tiger team can improvise and do really well. There's some other examples that I um, was reminded of in thinking about all this. Uh, one was the um, attempt to salvage the heat probe on the InSight Mars lander, which is actually still alive on the surface of Mars, and... Um, and uh, they tried to use a spade head to actually force the heat probe down. It was like, it was like a jackhammer that was supposed to penetrate down into the surface and give them information about the interior of Mars. It just wouldn't get down into dirt. It, the jackhammer didn't work. I mean, it worked, but it wasn't actually effective in, in digging down. So they tried to use this uh, sort of shovel head that they had to push it and try to force it down into the ground. And that actually didn't work either. But now that same shovel, apparently with some success, to help clean dust from the solar arrays. So again, something that wasn't intended to be used that way, being used in other ways to prolong that mission. Um, And another example was the Galileo mission to Jupiter. Back in the 90s, they had this great spacecraft with all these instruments heading out to go into orbit around Jupiter, and it did uh, release a probe into the atmosphere of Jupiter. I think it entered near the um, Great Red Spot to study the atmosphere, it achieved a stable orbit and it, and it did a lot of you know amazing science and, and revealed a lot about the, the very large collection of moons around Jupiter. But it did all this um, despite the fact that its main antenna, which is a big sort of umbrella device which was supposed to open up uh, once the probe was on its way out to Jupiter, well, that just didn't open. So they had to rely on a backup transmitter which could only send data at a much smaller rate but they they had to you know just use what they could and improvise a way to uh, to still make that mission largely a complete success i mean they didn't get the as higher volume of information back from from galileo as they would have had the main antenna umbrella opened But they still managed using data compression techniques and sending smaller amounts of data, but over longer periods of time, they did actually make a huge survey of the Jovian system and its moons. To date, that's some of the most valuable information we have on Jupiter and its retinue of moons. At the moment, we're finding out more information about, about Jupiter from the Juno mission, which is in a big looping orbit, a big ellipse. It's focused mainly on studying the planet itself and its atmosphere as opposed to doing much science with the moons. So another example of a great bit of improvisation from NASA. Even though some of the quotes from Bond films can be a bit cheesy, in the case of Max Zorin when he said, in A View to a Kill, intuitive improvisation is the secret of genius. Well, he, he was probably quite right about that because uh, NASA has got some very clever people working for it and they have achieved some amazing things in preventing problems arising, dealing with problems as they arise and just achieving outstanding scientific results in the field of space exploration.